Amen. All right, this morning, uh, I want to invite you, whether in your bulletins or uh, by opening up your own Bibles, to follow along with me in Galatians 5, and I'm going to read a little bit from Galatians 5 and Galatians 6. Now, if you recall, sprinkled into the series of John that we have uh, been in for several months now, I've included a select fruit of the Spirit. Uh, one, because in this time of the world and our lives and our nation, uh, we need to hear these fruit of the Spirit. We need to see them in our lives. But two, because they fit really nicely together with uh, the, the bearing fruit theme that we saw in John chapter 15 of abiding in Christ and then the fruit that comes from abiding in Christ. And so, so far, we have looked at patience. Love is patient. We've looked at kindness. Love is kind. And today we are considering goodness as a fruit of the Spirit. Title of the sermon, Gracious Goodness. Now, just so you know and can expect uh, accordingly, I'm going to be starting a new series for the summer next week. If you recall, last summer I did a series for us called Clothed in Christ. Uh, and that was really a biblical theology of clothing running from Genesis on through the end of Scripture. We're doing something similar this summer, and the, the name of this series is There's a Place for Us. Now, if you know West Side Story, you know where the title for this sermon series comes from, There's a Place for Us. But basically, it's a biblical theology of place, of place that God has provided for us from, again, Genesis through Revelation. So you can think about that, and I hope it'll become clearer in the weeks ahead. But for today, our focus is on goodness. And Galatians 5 and 6, let me read for us this morning then from uh, these two passages. Uh, I'm going to start off in chapter 5 at verse 22, and then we'll continue on. This is the word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And now let me skip down to uh, verse 7 of chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear these words today, and by the gift of your Spirit, by the fruit of your Spirit, Transform us, develop within us goodness and the desire for and the opportunity to do that which is good. This we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, the good Lord Jesus. 
Amen. All right, in the title of today's sermon, excuse me, I just need a quick drink. In the title of today's sermon, I inverted the common expression. The common expression, of course, is goodness gracious. And I inverted it intentionally today to gracious goodness, not just because I wanted to be cute or clever about it, but to remind us of something we are always apt to forget in our souls. And that is this, namely, for us, grace comes before goodness. Gracious goodness. How often do we feel that somehow, and we would never verbally express this, but we feel it, that somehow we're not good enough for grace. Or, or think of it this way, if, if we do, if we happen to do something that is good, something that we desire to do, that we define as good, that we think is good, we often think we, that, that we'll feel better about ourselves. We'll feel somehow more worthy of favor, more worthy of grace if we've done something good. That is to say, we get the order wrong. Gracious goodness, though, is the gospel. And I, I had the promise of forgiveness be Ephesians 2, 8, and 10, because as much as any other place in Scripture, that shows us the order. It makes it clear that we've been saved by grace through faith and then called to do that which is good as God's redeemed people. Now, before we look at Galatians 6, and that's really what I want to focus on this morning, I think it would be worthwhile very quickly just to remind ourselves of some of the points that we saw when we talked about patience and kindness. I said these things in more depth there. I'm going to say them a little bit briefly just by way of introduction this morning. And, and the first thing I want to say is this, that like patience and kindness, goodness is an attribute of God, right? It's, it's probably the most fundamental, simple thing that we can say that scripture affirms about God. In fact, this morning, if you uh, said the call to worship along with me, the very first words out of your mouth in worship this morning were, for he is good. That is the testimony that we find in scripture, and it's who God is. And so, it is not surprising to us then that the Holy Spirit, who is at work to uh, conform us into the image of the Father and re-image us into the image of the Son would be at work to make us like them, patient and kind and full of goodness. It makes sense that the Spirit is trying to produce that fruit in our lives. Secondly, uh, just by way of introduction, remember this. He made us good. In, in the words of Ecclesiastes, uh, God made men upright. He made humanity upright. But we have sought out many evil devices, many evil desires, and fell. Such that now, the scripture says of unregenerate man, of man who has not been redeemed, a man in, in, in our natural estate now, that there is no one who does good, not even one. You can find that in Romans 3, and it's actually just quoting a psalm. There's no one who does good, not even one. Now, that doesn't mean that, relatively speaking, some people don't do things that are better than other people do. It's just that to say, up against what God considers to be good, none of it is good. 
None of it is good. By common grace, it's not as all bad as it can be, but none of it is actually, truly, purely good. And so the gospel says that the good father sent his good son to die for our wickedness, for our evil, and in his life to then credit to us, to, to give to us his record of goodness. We're, we're accustomed to thinking about it his record of righteousness, but maybe it's even simpler somehow just for us to hear. It is the goodness, the record of the goodness of Jesus Christ that is credited to our account so that we are seen in that way. And now through the power of the spirit, we are to not merely wait for goodness to fall upon us or wait for goodness to bubble up inside of us. Instead, we are to pursue goodness. And we are to, in the command and the words that are set before us this morning, we are to do that which is good. And then lastly, by way of introduction, what is goodness? Well, goodness is a virtue. It's certainly a disposition. But in accordance with how we considered especially kindness in our series, I want us to see that goodness is primarily an action. It is a virtue, but it's primarily an action. Uh, and, and goodness has two components. On the one side of goodness, you avoid that which is evil. So, so if, if you're doing that which is good, you are avoiding that which is evil. And then positively speaking, you are doing that which is good. That's, that's how we can understand this. Just by way of reminder, a quote that I have from uh, Jerry Bridges is this, kindness is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. So in kindness, I want your happiness. I want what is best for you. And then Bridges continues, goodness is the activity calculated to advance that happiness. So, so kindness is the disposition. Goodness is the act that I do to try to increase your happiness, increase your pleasure. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, to be kind is to have a disposition freely to do good. Okay, so again, that's the same articulation there. Benevolence, goodwill, leads to beneficence, doing that which is good. And the call to do that which is good is, of course, all over Scripture. Uh, I, I've included Psalm 37. There's a hundred other passages that we could find that call us to do good. Now, as we get into Galatians 6, I'm going to focus for a bit here, particularly on verses 9 and 10. And there's a phrase in 9, let us not grow weary in doing good. I want to quote from John Calvin, the great uh, reformer as we get into this, because he's reflecting on this verse, and he says some stuff about it that I think is just great. So, so listen to what Calvin wrote about this. Well-doing, or doing good. Well-doing does not simply mean doing our duty, but the performance of acts of kindness, and has a reference to men. We are instructed not to be weary in assisting our neighbors in performing good offices and in exercising generosity. This precept is highly necessary, for we are naturally reluctant to discharge the duties of brotherly love, and many unpleasant occurrences arise by which the ardor of the best disposed persons is apt to be cooled. We meet with many unworthy and many ungrateful persons. 
the vast number of necessitous cases overwhelms us, and the applications which crowd upon us from every quarter exhaust our patience. Our warmth is abated by the coolness of other men. In short, the world presents innumerable hindrances which tend to lead us aside from the right path. Most properly, therefore, does Paul admonish us not to relax through weariness. I love the way he says that. I know it's a hard quote to process in full. But Calvin, he basically says, listen, it's tough to do good in this world because, A, there's so much good that needs to be done. Anywhere you turn, there's good that needs to be done. And B, people are really tough to be good to. You know, I mean, he could have spent more time looking at ourselves and noting that it's hard for us to do good because of who we are. But what he really does is he just says, listen, it's not going to be easy out there. You're going to try to do good and you're going to get tired of it because people aren't going to thank you. People aren't going to think you're great. People are going to take advantage of you and you're going to get sick of it. You're going to get tired of it at some point and say, when do I get my return on this? When do I get the payback for all of this? And that's why we've got the call. So be weary. Now, let, let me give our attention then to a couple of particular aspects that are found. I'm going to start for us in uh, verse 10 and highlight two aspects that are found in verse 10. Let's consider, first of all, the scope of this command to do that which is good. The scripture says, let us do good to everyone, to everyone or to all. And that is pretty comprehensive when you think about it, doing good to everyone and doing good to all. Let me, uh, let me, let me try to make that concrete for us in two ways. And these two ways relate very specifically to where our society is, where our culture is right now. One might think that we wouldn't need to say these things, but on the other hand, one might think that we really have to say what I'm about to say. Being good and doing good to all includes people of all races, whether they are black or white or Latino or Asians, we are called to do good to all races. Of all men, Christians, Christians in particular, ought to understand this. We ought to understand that God shows no partiality, that he has created humanity to be image bearers of him. And therefore, in our love and in our kindness and in our doing good for all people, it sure better include all races because there is no room for anything else in the church of Jesus Christ. A second application for us. All includes people with whom we strongly disagree. You can't, you can't barely have a conversation or turn on the news without hearing about the polarization that exists within United States right now, the divide that exists within that which by name is united. Now, some of that is hyped up because that's what the media likes to do. They hype things up. But nevertheless, there, there really is a, a polarization within the culture. And the call of the Christian within that is without compromising our conviction, we are still called to be kind and to do good, to do good in our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions towards 
those with whom we have deep fundamental disagreements, even those whom we would call our enemies. Make no mistake, we ought to lead the way in that. We ought not to be just in one of the camps that hates the other camp, but we should be those who seek to do good to all men. And the reason for this is because that's what God does. That's what God does. It's, it's nothing less than that, the example of God himself. I, I'm going to illustrate this by turning to Acts chapter 14. And by way of introduction, remember that when Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra, a city in Turkey, they're ministering the gospel there and they perform a healing. And the people of the city, when they see the healing, they mistake them for Zeus and Hermes. And they start trying to worship them. And Paul responds in this way. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. Think about what he's saying there. We're, we're men. We, there's a common humanity that exists between us. We are of like nature with you. Now, Paul could go beyond that, and he's about to, by saying, we're image bearers, like you, created in the image of God. We're men like you. Sorry, let me continue. Of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. See, we're, we're back to creation. How are we in common? Because God has made us, like he's made everything. We're image bearers of God. And he continues. In past generations, he, that is God, allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet, he did not leave himself without a witness. What's the witness? For he, God, did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and with gladness. That's what God did for people who didn't know him, people who didn't walk in his ways. And, and listen, the point isn't here that God gave them bread and water. That's not the point. He, he gave them food, fruitful seasons, which satisfied their heart and provided them with gladness. Now, that might seem a little shocking to us. It might seem uh, over the top by God. After all, they're not your people. They're not your, they're, they're enemies of yours, right? But God even gave them gladness. That's what grace is. That's what even common grace is, giving us more than what we deserve. And so we, too, are called to do good to all, to our difficult neighbors, to our irritating colleagues, to the kids in school who drive us crazy, to the people in our clubs or on our sports teams that are always trying to show off, to our communities we are called to do good. They may hate us on some level. That's last week's sermon, right? The world hates you. They may hate us on some level, but may they say of us, even if begrudgingly so, that she's a kind person. She's full of good works, like they would have said from your bulletins this morning about Tabitha. She, she's full of good works and deeds of charity, and nobody can deny it, even if they would like to deny it, or like Barnabas, who was a good man. So we are called to do good to all men. 
because they are part of common humanity made in the image of God. And then scripture adds a clarification to this. The clarification or particularization of it is especially to those who are of the household of faith. Beyond what we have in common with people in general as created by God, we are bound, we're knit, we are woven together, woven together, especially to the household of faith, to one another, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and if you want to take that one step further, you could say that not only to, to Christians in general, but to those with whom I am in covenant in a local church, or, or you could draw one smaller circle at least, to those who are members of my family. So, so you see the spheres. Uh, do, it, do good to all, do good to Christians especially, especially to those who are within your local church, especially to those who are within your household. household. Now, it should be clear here, I, I, I trust, but I, I, I gotta say it anyway, it should be clear that what we're not talking about here, the point here is not exclusivity of some kind, that I'm not gonna do good for you because you're not in this circle. The idea of all negates any kind of interpretation of exclusivity. But the reality is this, all of us have limited time, limited resources, limited energy, and sometimes we're going to need to prioritize, to choose. And, and Paul is giving us a principle by which that is to take place. And, and that becomes a way for us to ask ourselves some questions about how we're spending our time, for whom are we doing that which is good, or are we really doing it in this good order that is there? Now, there's a quote that is cited by a number of writers at this point when you, when you get to talking about this, and I'm going to join their ranks here and read you a, an extended quote from a commentator for a moment. Listen to this. Christians, therefore, are particularly bound to do good to one another. Every poor and distressed man has a claim on me for pity. And if I can afford it for active exertion and financial relief, fine. A poor Christian has a stronger claim on my feelings, my labors, and my property. He is my brother, equally interested with myself in the blood and love of the Redeemer. I expect to spend an eternity with him in heaven. He is representative of my unseen Savior, and he, that is my unseen Savior, he considers everything done to his poor, afflicted brother as done to himself. For a Christian to be unkind to a Christian is not only wrong, it is monstrous, end quote. Now, in the background here of this is the call of Jesus. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, my brothers, you, you, my brothers, you did it to me, Jesus says. And, and if you think about the context of that, which is Matthew 25, that reminds us, as Jesus describes the deeds, that, that the things we're being called to in doing good are by and large ordinary things. Or to borrow a phrase from Jerry Bridges who writes about this, they are unheroic. 
I want I want to say this clearly. Paul here is not calling us to lead movements designed to change the world. Okay, the world hates Jesus, and that's not going to change. We're not called necessarily to lead movements now. If, if we have opportunities to do so and we're making a good impact, great. But that's not the place where most of us are. Instead, our opportunities to do good are usually small, local, self-sacrificing kindnesses that we do to the people who are closest to us, who are nearest to us, do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially to your neighbors, especially to your family. Do good to all. Love your family. Care for the sick. Provide for the poor. Give food to those who are needy. Show hospitality and do those things in accord with the need that exists in front of you, but also in accord with who you are. The, the, the talents that you have, the skills that you have. Uh, so for example, let's say someone is cold and needs a blanket, a scriptural example or, or, or a coat. I'm never going to volunteer to do good to someone by sewing them a coat or by sewing them a blanket. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. I can't do that. I, I can barely make you a meal. I can grill for you, but I can barely make you a meal. So that's not the goodness that I'm called to do. Point being this, there's a certain individualization that goes along with doing that which is good so that it contributes to the need of the moment, but then also is in accord with who you are. Let me give you one uh, way to think about this. I read an author this week, I won't even mention the name, who noted the fact that we live in a fractured world. And the idea from this author was very simple, that in a fractured world, the good that we can do is to take two things and put them together. Take two things that are fractured and put them back together. Now, it's a metaphor, but it's a picture of the simplicity of the good that we are called to do, of, of taking things that should be together but aren't together and bring them together for others. Now, as we conclude then, what I want to note is this. Paul sets this call to do good to all, and especially to those who are in the household of faith, within the metaphor, an agricultural metaphor once again, the metaphor of farming and in particular of sowing and reaping, of planting and harvesting. And, and Paul then encourages the doing of good in light of a yield that is to come, a harvest that is to come. So what's the harvest that is to come? Well, the harvest that is to come is glory to God. You get the privilege of helping another person and seeing their pleasure, the joy and satisfaction that it brings to you. You might see people won to Christ. You might see a relationship strengthened or developed, not to mention, however, God works out eternal heavenly blessings in his economy. But that harvest will come in due time, in God's time. Now, the importance of remembering that is we're often not going to see it on this earth because the earth is full of ungrateful people. So you're not going to get the thanks that you might think you deserve or the, the credit you might think you deserve for doing that which is good. You're not going to get that 
in this life. And that's why Calvin says, don't be weary and don't be discouraged because listen, you're going to have to hold on to the promises of God. And, and if, if harvest fruit is the upshot, then the call that we have from the scriptures, from Paul, is so now. Don't wait. Don't delay planting. Plant it now. Do the good that you can now. Today never comes again. It, today is the only day that is today. Do good. Don't stop. Don't get weary. Gracious goodness. Let's be clear as we close. Goodness to earn points with God, favor with God, goodness to do penance for sin, or goodness as some sort of a convoluted way, effort by which you think you'll get into heaven. That kind of doing good is fruitless. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, but if you pursue it in that way, it is absolutely positively fruitless. In the gospel, the good father sent his good son to redeem us, the ungood, no good. And now God the Spirit inhabits us and is transforming us, growing goodness within us and our ability to do good. So do good for goodness sake, or better yet, do good for God's sake. Lord, we pray that you would help us. This is a high calling. Help us not to take it lightly. It's a, it's a simple thing to be able to say. And oh, Lord, from the depth of our being, it is difficult to do these things. So grant to us that which you have commanded. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to sing together uh, hymn 303, Blessed Jesus at Your Word. I draw your attention particularly.